I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the Internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through thedinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you're listening to the December 9th, 2012 live cast of The Dinner Party Show. Tonight, we will not be talking about Leanne Rimes and Eddie... Cibrian? Cibrian. Eddie Cibrian's inability to get along with Eddie's ex-wife, Brandy. With an eye. Despite the fact that Rhymes and Cibrian cheated on her and Eddie dumped Brandy and his kids to marry the younger, richer, more famous Rhymes, they don't seem to be able to get along with Brandy. Mm. Go figure, huh? No recent word from the ex-Rhyme dumped to be with super hot Eddie about how hard taking responsibility for her hideous, if understandable, behavior has been on Leanne, but we bet it begins with B. Whatever it is, we will not be talking about it, and we wish they'd all mm. shut the hell up. Mm. We will also not be talking about the fact that right-wing bridge garter and soul eater Ann Coulter published one of her most despicable columns ever this week, oh. in which she, wait for it, lied, <gasps> made up statistics, no. ignored actual statistics, and referred to an entire race of human beings as, quote, nitwitty. We're not quite sure what to make of Coulter's all-out assault on a Latino community many pundits have deemed critical to the future of a political party she is apparently trying to destroy, except that she cites no evidence at all for her assertion that Latino women don't work as hard as, quote, everyone else. So we're just not going to talk about it, because here at the Dinner Party Show, we can see clearly that Ann Coulter's entire persona and publicity strategy is based on the assumption that people like us will keep getting outraged by people like her. Well, Ann, if that's all you got, you might want to work a little harder. Uh-huh. We will also not be talking about whoever it is Taylor Swift is dating. We'd rather wait for the song and sing along about it. And in a surprising twist, we will not be talking about the fact that two critical gay marriage cases are bound for the United States. States Supreme Court. Don't get us wrong. We're thrilled that they're bound for the United States Supreme Court. But why aren't we going to talk about it? No, it's not because we don't support gay marriage, even though neither one of us has found someone to tie the knot with yet. Yet. Thank you. The truth <laughs> is that we won't be talking about these cases because we have no idea what's going to happen. And Eric and I are far more comfortable being jealous of those who have already succeeded and judging those who have recently screwed up. So rather than subject you to a segment full of speculation about what may or may not happen in the LGBT community's ongoing quest for equal rights, we'll focus on people who are pissing us off right now. 
We will also not be talking about how contemptible it is that we think that the efforts of the minority party that the, at the U.S. Senate refused to ratify a symbolic U.N. treaty urging other nations to offer the disabled the same rights they are already legally entitled to in this country. Mm-hmm. We won't even be mentioning how irresponsible we think it is that the most do-nothing Congress in U.S. history faced with their own self-imposed crisis and a ticking clock on taking the few simple actions it would take to mend their incompetence left early this week. Mm-mm. We think the last election made everyone's views on this topic perfectly clear. Everything else is on the table this week on The Dinner Party Show. To center this live cast of The Dinner Party Show in harmony with the self-actualized highest possible self and bring all four courses into alignment with our own personal abundance, spiritual guide and guru to the stars, Sheila Noya. Hi, I'm Sheila, and my book, Just for Tomorrow, will be in bookstores, flea markets, and renaissance fairs wherever crystals are sold very soon, possibly tomorrow. But tonight, let's focus on how thinking of others takes away from time when we could have been thinking about and talking about ourselves. Repeat with me, I'm the most important person in the universe. Whatever seems to happen around me, doesn't seem to happen if I'm not paying any attention. Focusing on me makes the world go away. If a tree falls in the forest and I'm not there to hear it, who cares, right? If I pretend hard enough, it's just like it never happened, no matter how unpleasant it was. People who disagree with me don't exist, and I can't even see or hear them, even if I'm related to them and they're sitting right across the table from me every Thanksgiving. The only problems I have today are the ones I didn't put off until tomorrow. And remember, I'm the best person I can possibly be, no matter what anyone says. Namaste. feel so much better yeah, about myself. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yep. It's much easier. If you only have to think about yourself. Yeah, it's like a streamlining of spirituality. It's, right, it's so cumbersome to have to think about, you know, everyone else. It really is, and I have to say, I want to give us some credit. In the provocation segment here on the Dinner Party Show, we bring in a buffet, if you will, of spiritual people. Yeah, it's yeah. about diversity here at the, the Dinner Party Show. And sometimes diversity just turns your stomach. Oh, <laughs> well, it's the truth. Did, is that an Ann Coulter quote? <laughs> it is. It's actually from her column this week that we're not talking about, and you were talking about something from the Not Report. I'm not talking about the column. Segment. I'm you just talking about Ann Coulter. You are. You are. You are. You I refuse are. never. I refuse to be put in a position never to speak of her. We are back live streaming to you through the dinnerpartyshow.com or not if you're listening to our podcast version several days later. Um, we had an exciting show last week. I must. say. I am telling you, streaming wasn't the word. It was the whitewater rafting through your dinner party through your dinner party show app and your our special guess, correspondents all filed their reports at different times than we had them scheduled for. Let's just was, say that much. It was very exciting around here. It was Absolutely higgledy piggledy. It was, but we had some great guests. But we have some really great guests this week. We have two very good friends of mine and two very talented As mystery to those writers. Only marginally great guests we had last week. Last week I I'd met them online and just sort of convinced yeah. them to come on the show. Marsha Clark is here, the famed prosecutor turned. Right. Critically acclaimed mystery 
novelist who many of you may know from a lot of, of gigs that she's had on cable news consulting on various legal trials. Not to mention that, you know, O.J. Simpson trial thing. There's that. There's that. I'm sure she gets a lot of questions every I now and then. I expect I have one or two. <laughs> every other appearance or so. And then we have Edgar Award winning author and forensic science advocate Jan Burke who started something called the Crime Lab Project will be here. And in our Dish segment, which is usually a kind of gossip uh, roundup. My favorite. We'll be doing a death roundup. Right? I'm actually going to be the guest on this week's show. We've got three mystery novelists and me. Eric has had nothing to do with the planning of the show. He did, however, put together our hat tree, which we have added to our dinner party show Which was no small feat. I'm here to tell you, we should have done a reality show about Eric puts together the hat tree. Absolutely. And and one bit of business to update people on before we go to your very special holiday project that you want to tell our listeners about. We uh, are working on our Apple app. You all have written us incessantly about it, and we understand that you want to listen to our show. sounds like we're irritated. You've kept we're, us posted on kept the development. Us posted. We're not irritated with you. We're irritated with Apple. They have apparently, after we filled out all of the required forms... And built the app. And built the app. They have denied our request, and we are not sure why. We actually got the denial of that request several minutes before we went on the air tonight. So we're, we're sorry to break that news to you, although if you were planning to listen to the show using the app, you're probably not listening to this right now, so it's not that big a deal. Eric, let's talk about your special holiday project. I'm I'm, I'm launching something. I kind of started last week, but what with all the whitewater rafting, <laughs> we didn't quite get around to everything we'd planned last week, or we forgot. Um, but I'm calling it Christmas Without Borders. Every year I do my Greater Christmasville, and there's an album that I've started on the page, which I will begin updating this week now that I have finally got all of the decorations done and thrown that dinner party. It was um, a lovely dinner party, really especially was. the part where Eric got trapped in his closet and none of us knew, and we just heard a faint <laughs> screaming through the wall. A shoe tree had fallen in between him it and the door. used to be on the back of the door, and it fell off and blocked the door and pinned me in the closet. It was quite the epic party moment. Mm-hmm. My only time in the closet, uh, pretty much ever. Ever in your entire <laughs> life, girlfriend. So anyway. Anyway, so what I want to do is I want to encourage you to post on the page, I guess we were talking on about On our Facebook the, page at the Dinner your, Party Show. Your Greater Christmas Bill so that we expand the borders. It's not just my Greater Christmas Bill, but it's ours. So I'm talking to you, Sandra LaSalle, and all the rest of you crazy Christmas addicts like myself out there. Let us hear from you. Let us see. And if I can figure out a way to put them all together in one big album, well, I'll do it. But if I can't, you know... I'm doing my best with this Absolutely. whole social media thing. Absolutely. He's still figuring out the Facebook app on his iPad. Um, oh, but for thing. those people need to be told, Greater Christmasville is, a, is a, a beautiful miniature Christmas village that covers your entire apartment on glimmer snow and around right. sits around your Christmas tree, which is enormous this year. Yeah, it is the biggest Christmas tree ever. I, Absolutely. I thought it was going to be a smaller tree. Chris, Christopher's actually... You have holiday dysmorphia. Yeah, every year I think I've gotten a smaller tree. And, and every, every year, year it's a bigger tree. I, I don't know how that works works. Absolutely. You got berated by your landlady last week when you came home because of all the pine needles in your fire stairway. Oh my God, because they couldn't fit it in the elevator. Yeah, that was really my lovely welcome home from the show last week. Absolutely. Okay, well I think this week, I think we have a report from our news correspondent, Breck Artery. Cross your fingers. Cross your fingers. Let's see. Breck, are you there? The Dinner Party Show takes you to Breck Artery live in front of an ironically chosen bank building that has been turned into a nail salon. Breck? Thank you. This is Breck Artery coming to you live from Happy Nails and Trust Company, former headquarters of Nussbaum Investment Bank and Trust, to make a point about the continuing failure of the American financial system. 
For reasons defying all logic, rational thought, or even the most rudimentary understanding of economics, which is, I assure you, all I possess, the American people continue to be fooled into believing that the growing concentration of wealth into the hands of very few at the expense of the most basic and essential human services like, say, educating the young, will somehow benefit those being robbed blind by the very people who keep electing them to office. In what may be the most amazing feat of marketing ledger domain since the Dutch bought Manhattan for $24, Americans remain firmly convinced that rich people not having to pay taxes commensurate with their rate of personal consumption of wealth will somehow help improve their quality of life, which is increasingly on par with third world nations, and help improve the job market that has been in decline for 30 years now. Perhaps the most jaw-dropping leap in logic is the belief that the cost of government services should be going down despite the fact that the government's population has grown by over 100 million people in those same 30 years as our population simultaneously ages, increasing the percentage of retired people and their medical needs. And so, here we are, outside the thriving Happy Nail Salon, part of a chain of such salons opened by someone who is not exposed to the corrosive Big Brother-like marketing that has fueled political campaigns since the 80s when her family first fled the country the U.S. had napalmed into the Stone Age. Unfettered by the simultaneous beliefs in entitlement and selfishness that keep most Americans angrily glued to cable news channels, Lisa Happy Nails, as she's known in this country, has become the kind of success that only education and government assistance can offer to those who aren't too stupid to accept it, or, as they are more commonly known, rich people. And now, back to the dinner party show already in progress. This is Breck Artery saying good night and good dinner. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show will be the judge of that. Well, that was weird. That was a really long song that Breck chose to play after his news report. That Breck, you just never know what you he's really, going to do. He is a loose cannon and not at all what I would call <laughs> fair and balanced. You're always so judgmental. I'm not judgmental. I'm clear-eyed and observant, as you have taught me to be as my best friend of, what, you know, 50 years now? Yeah, at least. At it least. seems like Absolutely. it anyway, I, I think. Maybe it's only 10. I don't know. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. You've never stopped listening to The Dinner Party Show because I you are not. streaming this through our website, and there's nothing else that streams through our website except our show because our show is too big to allow anyone else into the room. This is the hors d'oeuvre section of the evening. Yes, cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. Absolutely. This is when we chew over current events, and I think well, this is going to be a serious segment this week. Well, I guess some of it is serious. I, I just was really struck by this um, Kate Middleton, Prince of Wales, or the Duchess of, what did she? I don't even remember. I don't at all. remember. You're but, so much more into the Brits than I am. She I'm surprised you became, don't know. I, yeah, I can't keep track of all that. I, you know, I've, I've got Christmas decorating to do. <laughs> You've got closets to get I've trapped in by shoe trees. To try and escape from. I remodeled that shoe tree. I will have you know I saved okay. the shoe tree. Absolutely. It's smaller, but still very effective. And I called down my shoe uh, collection and will be <laughs> donating some uh, not often worn shoes to the shoe, the shoeless. <laughs> We're drifting, Eric. Let's get okay. back on script. Anyway, the, I, I'm sure everyone in the entire world has heard this terrible situation where radio people from Australia, Australia phoned the hospital and uh, said they were the queen. And I would just like to say that it seems to me that 
this is a failure if if it's on anyone's part on the part of the whatever security surrounds the royal family like mm-hmm. if there was no protocol for what happens cuz like what is what is somebody supposed to do hi it's the queen right and the person is supposed to say well prove it right or, exactly or oh i bet you are and it turns out to be the queen i mean that's an untenable position to put somebody who's just answering the phone in Absolutely. so she transferred the call unaware and un- unsure because there was apparently no procedure in place. Somebody else took the call and began answering questions. So, okay, you know, that happened. But then it, but then the horrible people at the radio station, I'm sorry, that sounded a little judgmental, but, you know, the hideous people at the radio station <laughs> who had recorded this decided, even though it was a breach of security, to air it anyway, which made these poor nurses... One nurse in particular, and I'm, I, I hope I pronounce her name correctly, uh, Jacintha Saldana. I wonder if she's related to Zoe. I don't know. I know it's not spelled the same way. Oh, okay. there's, there's an H at the very end of the name. Anyway, the woman, after being subjected to... International ridicule, as you uh, put it My radio station yeah. was ridiculing her, saying, I wouldn't stay in that high. The people on Extra were saying crappy things about the hospital. Everybody was all about it in the first place. Anyway, I, my bigger point about the whole thing, Christopher, is that I think this has been going on. We posted um, on our Facebook page, a, I, I looked on YouTube. I just searched Howard Stern prank calls, and there were like 20 pages of responses. The, the, the radio prank call is one of the earliest forms forms of I think cyberbullying mm. that and we've it's been going on I don't think it's ever been funny mm-hmm. this has been called because Jacintha as a result of the the horrible she persecution took her own life. she killed herself she's, now I don't know if it was because she was emotionally unstable or not you know but well I think I think we you know I, I was affected by the suicide of somebody pretty close to me when I was young and I think what it taught me about suicide is that it is um it's very difficult to blame a single external circumstance as the, as the sole deciding factor in a, a person's decision to take their life. But I have to say, and not to make my experience hers, I have been subjected to an incredible onslaught of hateful tweets as a result of opinions that I've expressed online. And I imagine that she was subjected to the same cavalcade of, of social media attack. I, I, I imagine it was far worse than anything I've ever been subjected to. And there's something about that experience that makes you lose your perspective. It's so visceral and it feels so violating and it's so overwhelming because it's the sheer volume of it. Right. It's not like in the old days when people sent you hate mail by the post. you know, And you could read it you at could, your leisure. And you could manage to get a deep breath in in between people telling you that you were going to burn in hell because of who you loved. This is all at once and is vicious. And I and I and when the first thing I thought when I heard this story was, oh God, I, I would dread to see what this woman's Facebook page was like during those days after it, the recording was made public. But it just seems to me that it it's not an appropriate choice. I, no. I You know, I, Howard Stern, like him, don't like him, whatever, I think has spent a career giving people permission to behave hideously towards one another. I, I just don't see that as really a contribution. He's very funny man, and he's, I'm sure, done plenty of great things, but that's not one of them. And the prank call, I think, is something that you know, if you're not if you're not a ten year old boy, there was something a, you probably oughtn't to be participating. Right. But if you if you've added the the volume of being on television or the radio, I just don't think it's an appropriate vehicle for humor. It's not funny. It's just mean. Well, I think you pointed out too a very good point. This woman is not a public figure. 
She did not right. sign a release to be on a reality television she show. Is, she did not sign up And for maybe anybody. this is a question for Marsha Clark, who will be on the program later, because the legality of this is very interesting to me. You know, how, you know, I was around the members of the real world New Orleans years ago when they were shooting, and they were followed not only by a camera crew, but by guys with satchels full of release forms that they had to get everybody in the vicinity to sign, even if they were standing in the background of a party where these kids were at. And if you did not sign that release form, your face was blurred out on the final program. So how can you take a recording of somebody's voice when they were not aware that they were being recorded right. in this way and then broadcast it globally and expose them to this type of ridicule. I think there's a lot here to talk about and it's I, serious. I, but it seems to me there ought to be some sort of other liability for people in that position using it to hold people up to ridicule in that way. Mm -hmm. I think that there ought to be civil consequences for that the family of Jacintha ought to be able to take these people at this radio station to task and for every dime they have mm -hmm. for hounding this poor woman to death for a joke on a morning drive time show. I just... A woman who was trying to do her job and a woman who was probably ultimately trying to respect the queen of her country, which has a monarchy. You know, I, yeah, I think it's very unfortunate. It called to mind a story that I found a few weeks ago, actually, that I was surprised that more people weren't talking about. Apparently, Justin Bieber fans ganged up on a nonprofit on Twitter and began deluging this nonprofit, excuse me, with so many hate tweets, and they literally were hate tweets, that it slowed down their Twitter feed. They were getting 20 tweets a second. And the source of this, okay, was that Drake Bell, who was the star of a Nickelodeon uh, TV show, had maybe tweeted something that was vaguely insulting to Justin Bieber. And then Drake went on to be uh, a spokesperson for this organization, which is called, I always get the name wrong, Thirst United or something like that. The, the goal of this nonprofit, it was started by a 24-year-old um, college student and it builds water wells in African nations. Right. It, it brings water to impoverished not, people. Not the sort of people who are typically subjected to deluges of hate-filled tweets when they're trying to raise money to get clean drinking water to disadvantaged people on Absolutely. that poor continent. Thirst Project is the name of the organization. And and also, the, this guy, Seth, who started this organization, he visits high schools. He tries to recruit high school-age students, i.e. Justin Bieber's demographic, to be involved in his cause. And so Suddenly, 20 tweets per minute. Like, if you're launching a Twitter campaign that day, that's going to shut you down. If, if you have people dealing with that much right. incoming traffic on your Twitter page. Um, and all of this because Drake Bell said some mildly insulting things about Justin Bieber. Actually, it started because Drake Bell said of Katy Perry, or he allegedly said, he now claims his Twitter account was hacked and he didn't really say it, that musicians in their 20s should not be releasing biographical films, that they haven't been alive long enough to have a, you know. So How maybe. old is Drake? I don't know, but he's got a he was lot on a of spicy children's opinions. Show, a children's show that that I think Corey used to work on. Your My cousin, cousin Corey. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think maybe he's not old enough to be making that denunciation of other people. The, the, I think that the bigger point is Justin seems like a really good guy, and so I would hope that Justin Bieber would take up the cause of the Thirst Project and help undo some of the damage that his loyal followers. Vertently or inadvertently <laughs> did um, by tweeting in favor of uh, clean drinking water for disadvantaged people. But isn't there there's an, there's another piece of this too that I'd like us to consider before we have a, a word from our sponsor, and that's that um, 
There's a real person on the other end of that tweet. There's a real person. Who There's runs a real that person Facebook answering page. that There's phone at the hospital. There's a real person hospital. answering that phone. They're not props in your cyber drama, you know. And I, and or point, or, or an opportunity for you to the, be the butt of your joke. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, that was serious, but I, I think we did a good well, job. Well, sometimes cocktail chatter, you know, it takes is. that kind of turn, it particularly is. if you're at the party. Absolutely. Well, let's. I think we have a new sponsor this week. Let's, oh. let's see who they are. Dating is hard. But you know what's even harder? Being yourself all the time. Especially when you're trying to meet that special someone who's way, way out of your league. Sometimes a little deception can lead to a whole lot of romance. That's why Mistadate is the first online dating service that helps you meet new people without being held back by who you actually are. Mr. Dates at Muscles Feature has got me so many coffee dates with hot chicks, and some of them have lasted as long as 30 seconds. With just a press of a button, I went from being just another TV salesman camping out to get Avengers tickets to a movie theater security guard who works as a physical trainer during the day. I love Mr. Date's built-in make-your-own-birth certificate feature. It totally comes in handy when guys I'm sending naked pictures to online start to figure out that I'm underage. It is very important to me that the women I meet not have any idea who I am or what I'm going to do to them by the time our night together is through. Thank you, Mr. Date, for the Cover My Tracks feature, which allows me to delete all my different profiles and all the messages I've sent with just the click of a button. Would Romeo have fallen for Juliet if he knew who her family was right off the bat? Sometimes all you need to make a good impression is a little time to turn yourself into exactly what the other person wants. And in this one-click internet age, you can't be held back by every mole or what you actually do for a living or your real last name. Mistadate lets you be who you'd like to be so you can be loved. Join now and keep joining. Multiple profiles and personalities are all welcome. here with the real dirt on what the constellations are up to and how you can read the signs before they read you. Feeling a little hot and bothered, Scorpio? (laughs) Full moon and last week's eclipse kicked things off for a busy and heavenly December. Mercury has slipped out of retrograde but continues to transit Scorpio for a little extra passion. And Venus is in Scorpio too, so she'll be heating things up even more. All this passion combines with the driving ambition of the sun in Sagittarius to lead to a holiday season that is as productive as it is spicy. And in case that's not clear enough for you, Cancer, that means get off your ass and take advantage of what the universe is bringing your way. The full moon is always ripe with possibilities, but the combination of full moon and eclipse represents an opportunity to express your deepest emotion. As we pursue our heart's desires, the heavens are fertile with possibility and all signs are drawn to strengthen relationships or end them. Unless you happen to be cancer, in which case this means that even you can't screw it up this time. So 
cancer, even though this embarrassment of chances ups your odds of failing, it also increases your chance of succeeding through pure dumb luck. And let's face it, cancer, if you didn't have dumb luck, you wouldn't have any luck at all. So, whatever your sign, get out there and get in the game this holiday season and experience a little comfort and joy. And remember, Cancer, an eclipse doesn't mean the moon is gone. It's just a little dim, so you'll be in good company, whatever happens. This is Twan reminding you to watch out for the stars. Here again to take us on another dazzling trip around the world is Tanya Lee Musgrave, former CEO of Most Pleasant Journeys Travel Agency in Allen, Texas. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show, Tanya Lee. Now, I understand that a few months ago, you and your traveling companion, Mr. Donald Drummond, journeyed all the my way to... My feet hurt. Excuse me? I said, my feet hurt. I know you were wanting me to talk about my trip, so I just thought I'd dive right in. It's been three months, and my feet still hurt. So there you go. I'm talking about my trip. Oh, all right. Well, I, I, I guess we should let our other guests know that you went to Italy. Yeah, yeah, we went to Italy. Gosh. Okay. Well, it sounds like maybe you didn't have a very good time. Well, my feet still hurt, and I'm in a mood about it, to be frank. Yeah, I can tell. And what makes it worse is that I was going to ask Mr. Donald Drummond to take me to one of them them Thai foot massage foot places that's been popping up everywhere since the economy mm, went to yeah. hell, but he and I still aren't speaking. Oh, no, was it something that happened on the trip? It sure was, sir. It sure was. Well, I do you well, want to talk to? Well, the problem is this, you see, I don't care much for European school children, and they were having this thing called Culture Week when the schools all over Europe send their kids to oh. Italy to go to the museums for free. Well, that's lovely. So there were all these children there from Western Germany and the USSR and so on. Well, they uh-huh. were the worst behaved little things you ever did see. I oh, mean, half dear. of them look like little Mexican. I, excuse me, Latin hooligans, and the other half look like little scruffy-type Scandinavian trolls that would have been <laughs> singing in the ABBA band back in the day. Anyway, oh, everywhere we did go, they were making some kind of fuss and texting people on their little substandard European cell phones and smelling like beets the turn because someone left them in the salad bar too long. Oh, I had had dear. it. I'm just telling you about halfway through the trip, I had had it. I see. Well, uh, what Well, happened? what happened was this. He had hired a car to take us through Tuscany so I could see where that Diane Lane movie was filmed. Oh, yes, I love that one. And we were pulling up to some old medieval town called, I don't remember what it was called, Mount Boyardee or something. Anyway, we were trying to pull up to this little alleyway and here come all these European school children. And I said to that driver, you just run those little bastards over. Oh, what with the dear. way the parents let them all smoke in public, they clearly don't want them around for very long either. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, what happened, Tanya Lee? Well, Mr. Donald Drummond, he didn't like that remark very much. No, no he did no. not. See, he had a brother, Clem, that was hit by a tractor oh. when they were little. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Did did he die? No, but he's talked with a French accent ever since, and nobody knows why, and apparently <laughs> it's very embarrassing for the it whole family. Very unusual. Oh, dear. Yeah, they have to call him Clementine now. It's strange. Anyway, Mr. Donald Drummond, he got so cross with me, I just got right out of that car and into the middle of all those school children. I just started swinging my purse like a a rodeo cowboy because they wouldn't make room. Goodness, well. Well, That's when he drove off. He told that driver to just drive off, and he left me right there in the middle of Tuscany. Oh, 
What did you do? Well, it's a it's a good thing I had all my miles because I hitched a ride back to Florence and I got myself on the first flight back to DFW. I could. Gosh, well, I I guess we're not going to hear a lot of insider tips on Italy from you oh, this no, time around. Oh, no, no, no. I've got plenty. Believe oh. me, tip number one. Oh, if you need to walk from Mount Bardi to Florence, you better take the Chianti Road. Tip I, number I two, that's... if someone on the Chianti Road stops no. to give you a ride, be forewarned. They're going to assume you're a Nigerian prostitute even if you're as white as Casper the Friendly Ghost. I I think it's pronounced Chianti. Uh, okay, then. Never. Uh, well, Tanya Lee, I, I, I'm so sorry you had a bad time mm-hmm. in Italy, and I do hope your feet start feeling better soon. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for joining us this evening. All right, y'all. Good night. Travel safe. And do give our best wishes to Mr. Donald Drummond. Yeah, I'll give them to him with my aching feet is what I'll do. That's enough, Tanya. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show. Where we ask the question, is soup really that amazing? Laughing at ourselves with Christopher Rice and Derek Shaw Quinn on the dinner party. And Marsha Clark is in the studio. Welcome, Marsha. Tonight's guests are Dan and Marsha. Marsha, Marsha. Oh, yeah. Marsha Clark. Oh, the cat. I love it. Yes, yes. I'm waving to the crowd. I'm doing the queen thing. Are you? Yeah, you look amazing. We haven't gotten video figured out yet, but we are filming tonight's show for our archive and we'll post clips. But I'll describe you're in a beautiful silk shirt and a lovely leopard. Is that a leopard print? It's ocelot. It's ocelot. ocelot. Okay. Not real ocelot. I don't do real. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course. Right. Of course. <laughs> you hear that animal, people? She's yes. not wearing a don't real fur. So don't stuff start on me. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I'm sure we'll do something that will upset you, but this isn't it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just tell people how we met. We met at Patricia Cornwell's launch party for her last novel here in Los Angeles. You were the nicest person at the party and also the prettiest. Oh, I thought I, you were. Oh, both. I did. No, it's and you. I was like, now, so you see how jazzed? I'm the guest on the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, I ran home and I told Eric, I went to the party and I, I was dying to meet Patricia because I'd been a huge fan of hers for years and years and years. And we connected on Twitter and she had sent me some really nice emails and invited me to what was a very actually small, intimate party at Sunset Tower. And so I got to meet her, which was a thrill. But then I got to meet you, which was a real thrill She's... because we worshipped you in, oh in our house. My mom just adored you. She thought you were such a strong, independent woman who stood up under an amazing amount of pressure. Unbelievable. She really, really loved you. And so I got to run home and tell everybody that I had met Marsha Clark. I was like, yeah, yeah, Patricia Cornwell was probably great. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I met Marsha Clark. But it's a mutual admiration side. I loved oh. you. I love your mom. I mean, Thank I just you. like, oh, my God, what a perfect connect. It was. It yeah. really made the whole night for me. It was so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. It was, I mean, it was there a you lot were. of fun. It's like, Chris Rice. Chris! Yeah. Oh, my God! I was like, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah, and then we started talking about, oh, we've got to get her to come on the show. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll have her absolutely. on the show. Absolutely. Because you really were, you were the most famous prosecutor in America as a result and of that trial. And one of America's leading experts on cyberbullying, too. Uh, I, I would think, boy, did you take it on the chat. I mean, really. And, and in an age before, I mean, imagine if there had been social media when that trial had happened. You know, I thank mean, God for small favors, right? Yeah. If there had been Facebook and Twitter Oh, my God. Then. The L.A. Times was enough. It was. It was. But you know what? I've got to tell you guys, the L.A. Times hated the DA's office forever and ever. They were, they were so happy to suck it to us whenever they had a chance anyway and so in the course of that trial boy did they it was really? ugly it was ugly yeah. it was yeah. brutal and it then was. every media in the world and that means I'm going to go this is my big Marsha Clark question that I've been dying to ask 
Should there be cameras in the courtroom? Oh, it's a really good question. It's I, such a good I question. I hate it, but it yeah. seems like if anybody yeah. is the person to ask that question, yeah. it's you. Did I think cameras changed that trial? Absolutely, they change every trial. It's a really this is a it, it, this is a knife's edge, edge question because. On the one side, I was very adamant about no cameras in the courtroom because lawyers strut for the cameras. Right. Witnesses show up who really have nothing to say, who want time. Witnesses don't come forward because they don't want to be on camera. Jurors get all weird and twizzly. Mm-hmm. Judges misbehave, as we've seen, and get mm-hmm. all crazy about their star turn. Right. And so none, nothing, none of this serves justice. None and of it. it's not anybody's business but the people involved in the suit. I, I just think it's that we get the verdict and that's enough. There's mm-hmm. another side to it. So when I got into this conversation with Fred Goldman on a radio show many years ago, uh-huh. and I said, you know, I just think it subverts justice. I think there's no good that comes of it. He said, but if there hadn't been cameras in the courtroom, no one would know what a travesty of justice this no. verdict is. Right. That's and a that's very good true. point. Yeah. You know, yeah, there were guys, no tri- there were no cameras at Simi Valley. There were none. Not only that, uh, we all knew that was a travesty anyway, though. We didn't <laughs> because need Because there cameras, was videotape. But just the same, we <laughs> right. didn't see. But what about Robert Blake? Robert Blake was acquitted of the murder mm-hmm. of his wife, mm-hmm. but nobody really is up in arms or are all upset about it because they don't really know what the evidence was. But the evidence was so compelling. He went and tried to hire people to kill his wife all over Hollywood. All these stuntmen. Mm-hmm. Knocks on the door. Hi, would you kill my wife? No, I've got, got a bridge game. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, would you kill my wife? No, I've got to go do my sock drawer. You know, and finally he goes, oh, fuck, I'll do it myself. You know, and you know what I mean? It was that clear. The evidence was that clear. And they acquitted him. But nobody, there's no you and cry about it because mm. there were no well, what cameras. What about this Casey Anthony? She's the latest. Oh. I mean, people literally competing. It became, I, the, the part that bothers me is that it becomes entertainment. Oh, yeah. Like oh, I, I, yeah, right. That Absolutely. whole trial was about, yes. I, I have no idea what the issues are in that particular trial, and it was televised, yes. so there, it doesn't help. Yes, yes, absolutely, it did. You know, it, it did, it's the same thing. I do think that the cameras, they, like we said, you know, the cameras affect everything, and it becomes entertainment, and then you have all the spinners, you have all the Right, you know, all the pundits, and yeah. Nancy Grace, boy, if we want to do something about <laughs> cyberbullying, we oh need to start with God. Nancy Grace, pounding oh people into the grave, that one. Yeah. We are live in the studio with Marsha Clark. We're going to come back and talk about her amazingly well-written mystery novel. She's got two out now, but first we have a word from another new sponsor. country star and American Idol winner Carrie Underwood. Many of you may know me for my most popular single, scratch that, my only popular single, Before He Cheats, in which I outline in excruciating detail a series of violent, possibly psychopathic, and most certainly illegal activities a woman can carry out with relative impunity when her man steps out on her. I've received thousands of letters of support from young women all across America who found the strength to vandalize their boyfriend's automobiles when they just thought he was going to cheat. Well, ladies, you could say I've been inspired by your quick thinking and preemptive actions. Why wait for something as serious as cheating to put your man in place with a Louisville slugger and two fists full of fear? That's why I'm releasing Carrie Underwood's possibly psychopathic and most certainly illegal relationship advice, now available for download at JustPayForTheStuffDon'tActuallyDoAnyOfIt.com. 
you'll find little pearls of fearsome wisdom like before he turns the volume up on the game, which details the quickest and easiest way to start a grease fire in the kitchen. What better way to get him to pay attention to you when there's football on? And then there's before he talks back, which explains how a well-hidden piece of onion and jaw-strengthening exercises can make it look like you're about to burst into tears when he gives the wrong answer to an important question about how you told him to feel. And then there's my personal favorite, before he asks for some, which shows you how a can of V8 and a roll of toilet paper can make him think it's that time of the month when really you're just sick of smelling that bathroom polo. I always knew I'd be a music star, but I never planned on giving relationship advice to the whole country. Most psychiatric professionals think I shouldn't, but it's kind of fun even so. Just remember, girlfriends, if they do take you to prison, they won't leave you in there for very long because you're a lady. And thanks to my downloads, you've been acting like one. studio with Marsha Clark and we will not be talking anymore about that trial we'll be talking about your books you have right. two novels in the Rachel Knight series out they're available for sale on our store page Yay. I read the first one and I really loved it I genuinely loved it I think talk some about it. did you have to overcome this belief that it was this ghost written celebrity thing not that there's anything against that man who wrote Two novels for Pamela Anderson. <laughs> no, really? Yeah, Eric Shawquin was oh. Pamela Anderson's ghostwriter. Yeah. Oh my this God. is the, what this is what the voice of Pamela Anderson actually <laughs> sounds like. Who thought? Who knew? Right. Who suspected? No wonder she sounds so brilliant. Right? I ended up being the number one chitlick chicklet author. <laughs> no kidding. On Amazon in 2004, whenever I wrote that book, yeah, yeah. it was like, wow, I, I hadn't planned on that in my career. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so, anyway. But you did great. not have a ghostwriter. You actually great. got in there and got on the old Underwood and yeah. And did it. Typed and it, pounded out yourself, it out yourself. Right? And, you know, I, I always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. I loved it, you know, but I didn't have any confidence that I could ever make a living at it, so I didn't try. And then eventually life, all kinds of things happened in life, and I wound up writing scripts in Hollywood. Mm. And that kind of got me gave me confidence to think, you know what, time to realize a childhood dream, now or never. So I went after it. And it, it took a while. I mean, there were several iterations of the book before uh -huh. I finally got something, you know, that anybody wanted to read or publish. But, but courtroom then, lawyers are storytellers. Right. By, that's yeah. what they do for a right. living. Yeah. It, Especially you have criminal to tell lawyers. The, yeah, you yeah. have to tell the jury a story and yeah. get them to believe it. I think that's, and yeah. the stakes are a lot higher than, God, I hope somebody buys the paperbacks rights to this. I don't right. know. Those are pretty high stakes. Which is pretty <laughs> for me, that's I mean, all the stakes you know, there groceries, are. groceries, yeah. kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it your childhood dream to have a recurring character, a detective or a or DA character like yourself, or, or was it to just sort of write? 
I think it was just sort of to write, but then again, it might have been to have a recurring character because I love Nancy Drew. Right. You know? Oh, I oh, love I'm sorry. Nancy She's Drew. 81 years old. I've read 80, every one of Carolyn Keene's books, whoever Carolyn Keene happened to be, to be at the moment. Yeah. yeah I, I love Nancy, Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew. She's so intrepid. <laughs> and I have to say, it was. <laughs> it occurred to me somewhere in my reading history that there's a formula to it that every time her dad went out of town, a case fell in her lap. Right. Right. But, Nevertheless, I remain true to my love of Nancy Drew. So I think I probably did want to write a recurring character. But, but wait I think a what... that means her dad was behind them all, right? Well, I thought so. <laughs> right? Her dad was a lawyer, so he kind of factored in frequently <laughs> ex-clients are and nefarious. people who were out to get him and people yeah. who he'd, he'd gotten... Uh, settlements against they were always they were always get gr- some axe to grind with yep right. what was his name yeah. I can't remember I don't I'm, remember I'm out on the field on the Nancy I, Drew stuff yeah, I was okay. too busy fantasizing about the Hardy I'm Boys just, the Hardy Boys they were cool I'm just I get they it they were more than I cool they were uh, they were <laughs> <laughs> See, back in the day, I wouldn't have thought that, but now I look back and I think, of course they were. Yeah, of they course. were majorly absolutely. hot. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wound up with Rachel Knight. Um, I think what really inspired me now uh, to to write a series was Armistead Mopin, who oh, was one wow. of my favorite oh, writers, yeah. and you know. Oh. God, he, what a wonderful right? writer. He's yeah. a wonderful writer. And, and the whole the series of Tales in the City just was so entrancing to me. I fell so in love with all the characters. And, you know, he has such a gift mm-hmm. of really delivering these unique characters. And you come back to them and it feels like a family. And that made me, I think, want to write recurring characters that, mm-hmm. that are family. You come back to and they develop and things happen and mm-hmm. you experience life through them. And I think that was probably the original, the the, the more immediate. And the first book that you wrote, it is it is very much about that. It is about the, the heroine taking up for a colleague who she b- believes is being wrongly accused of a, a pretty terrible crime yep. a, of statutory rape mm-hmm. and and it had that feel and it's very easy for people who don't know that world to go wrong with that feel to just sort of degenerate into t- TV cliche excuse me but it all it felt really authentic and really real I, I just glad. really enjoyed it I'm so glad Absolutely. I wanted to that was like part of the whole reason for having a, a protagonist who is a female DA in Los Angeles of course right. you know they say write what you know so that's part of it too yeah, yeah that helps but the other other part of it is there's a world that's involved in being a prosecutor, and it's about a mission. It's about a sense of a justice. It's, it's about delivering justice to people, about delivering closure, and, and, and doing something good for the world. You're really dedicated to it the way uh, there's like no other job I can think of other than other law enforcement that might be like that. And so I wanted to bring that world to the reader. And it's a world that's very dedicated. There is that mission, but there's also lots of camaraderie and there's lots of laughter because, of course, there has to be. You know? Right. Because right. most it's people life. don't know, right? It, it's life, but it's, it's also it's so serious. grim. If you didn't laugh, yeah. you'd go crazy, right? Right. Which is why homicide detectives are some of the funniest people I've ever met. They're hilarious. Huh. Like mm-hmm. the sheriff's homicide division, their motto, it's up on the wall, says, our day begins when your day ends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, right? They're sick like That's that. That's fantastic. Right? So, but nobody knows this. So I wanted my people to be funny mm-hmm. and give you that sense of fun along with the core ju- mission yeah. of justice. And, of course, they all all the women have hot boyfriends because it's my book. <laughs> right? I hear you, sister. I hear you. Um, we're, speaking of fun, you're going to be here with us for the rest of the evening. We're going to bring our dear friend Jan Burke in, in a little bit. But now Jan I believe Marcia. our relationship expert, Jonelle Sams, is back for another installment of her homemade relationship advice. So let's hear what she has to say. It's time once again for the Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle Sams. 
Hi, this is Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me, Care of the Dinner Party's Facebook fan page, or at Jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. This week on Homemade Relationship Advice, I want to deal with a serious and prevalent problem in society and certainly among our listeners, the belief that your husband or wife is having an affair. This corrosive belief does more to destroy what might otherwise be perfectly lovely marriages than actual adultery ever could. I have received so many letters on this topic that I wanted to answer the big question rather than all the little ones at this time. We'll get around to you, but I wanted to take a moment to share some of the secrets of my own successful marriage. Okay, so here goes. To all of you out there who think that your spouse might be stepping out on you, I want to say this. Marriage is boring. I know, I know. It's a sacred institution. It's the foundation of our society. It's the bond that ties civilization together. It's the expression of the deepest and most heartfelt of all human commitment. Blah, blah, blah. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you got all fired up about sacred foundation commitments? Mm -hmm. What marriage is, is the same thing with the same person every day forever. Don't get me wrong. I believe in marriage. My husband Merle and I have been blissfully married for 22 years now, and both of us are happy as can be. But that is because neither of us is counting on our marriage to be the source of that happiness. Merle and his best friend, Olson Lee Pugh, get up to all kinds of mischief together all the time. Why, I hardly ever see Merle at all. That keeps our relationship fresh and Merle off my nerves. I wish I could take credit, but Merle has just always been a man with outside interests. At first, I thought it might mean that Merle didn't want to be with me, and I was right. And I don't want to be with Merle all the time either. He's a good man and a wonderful husband, but there is a big wide world of canning and gardening and decoupage and church work that fills my life and brings me way more happiness than keeping Merle prisoner here at the house ever could. Jealousy can seem like quite a hobby at first, but it takes a toll. You start to read something sinister into every little thing your husband does. Every time he has to work late, even though his business closes at five. Every time there are charges on the credit card bill for restaurants that you've never been to and flowers and jewelry you've never received. Every time he doesn't come home and forgets to let you know because he and Olsen were having way too much fun and it got too late to call. <laughs> All that drama can seem fascinating at first, but it means you have to believe the worst of the person you're supposed to love the most. Now, who wants to feel that way? Every time I find myself thinking back bad thoughts about Merle, I can something, or I knit something, or I paint something, or I embroider something, or I get on the phone and organize a bake sale to raise money for a good cause, and then I get baking something. Eventually, Merle comes home, and I'm so busy I hardly notice it all. The house looks great. The pantry's full of fresh canned goods. All my church charities are fully funded. The ladies' auxiliary members think I may be some kind of saint, and I have more sweaters than anyone I know. So, if the green-eyed monster has you thinking that your wife or your husband is seeing someone behind your back, maybe you're just bored. Till next time, I'm Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have relationship questions, write to Jonelle Care of the Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to Jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Find something to do. 
You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Dish, brought to you by your mother, Mistress of Guilt. <sighs> That's okay. Go ahead and step on my foot. Why would I need to walk anywhere? I haven't been anyplace nice in years. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. And now it's time for the most potentially disastrous part of the dinner party show. What's Eric doing in the kitchen? Hi, and welcome to the dinner party show kitchen. I'm here with this week's guest, Chef Fredo from Cheam. Hi, Mr. Fredo. Welcome to our gourmet kitchen. Oh, very nice place you have here. Where do you want me to set up? Uh, well, Mr. Fredo. It's just Fredo. Okay, well, Fredo, uh, why don't we start out with a little bit about your place? What are some of the signature dishes from Cheyam? Ah, uh, well, we don't actually prefer the term dishes, but I guess I get your point. <laughs> Fancy. So, uh, do you prefer piastra? Hey, who you call it? Or I it? guess it's Cheyam, so it's plat or plak. Yeah, is that right? I'm not sure what you're talking about. I don't know. Well, we just want to get an idea of some of the house specialties at Cheyam. Okay, I I see. Well, we pride ourselves on having a little something to suit everybody's tastes. Beef? Oh, there's plenty of beef. Well, I'm certainly a fan. What are some of your favorites? I don't partake myself. You're a vegetarian? I, I don't know that I've ever heard that term used before, but I guess it applies. Let's just say I prefer to serve the beef. So, uh, what's most popular? Well, many of our patrons are very fond of Sheik Yabuti. I guess the effects of Arab Spring are far-reaching. A lot of reaching, that's How do you sure. prepare Sheik Yabuti? I don't actually prepare the Sheik myself. We've got an Asian girl who comes by on the weekends, but sometimes the barback has to pull double duty, so to speak. So, Asian cuisine? Uh, actually, her name is Susie. Um, yeah, so... She and the barback serve as your sous chef? You have got the funniest way of talking about stuff. You got some kind of food fetish? Well, I do love to eat out. Uh, we, we charge extra for that. But it's worth it, isn't it? Uh, that's what I hear. Customer's always right, huh? So what are you going to prepare for us today? Well, we could start with some of that eating out. If you want to, it's up to you. <laughs> well, since we're already in the kitchen, what say we whip a little something up on our own? Uh, if we whip something, it won't be little. <laughs> no problemo. <laughs> I like big portions as much as the next guy. Gotcha covered. Okay, then. Do you want me in the uniform? It's radio, so suit yourself. Uh, really, it's part of the appeal for most people. Maybe just the hat? I usually save that for the finale, but it's your kitchen. Make yourself at home. All right, then. All right. Uh, isn't that a policeman's hat? Where do I plug in my boom box? You like to work to music? Mm, it's the only way I know how. Oh, oh my. Oh, oh my God. I'm Officer Fredo, and I'm arresting you in the name of lust. Hey, um, of course. Uh, please, no handcuffs. You have the right to remain sexy. This is the last time I let Christopher do the book. You're resisting Officer Fredo. I think it's time to break out my nightstick. Christopher, get me out of here. This has been another episode of What's Eric Doing in the Kitchen? Now back to the dinner party show. Time to subdue the prisoner. Never mind. 
The Weather Girls live in the studio. Two tons Jan Burke of fun. and Marsha Clark are here mm. singing It's Raining Man. <laughs> way, less, way less than two tons of fun. Hallelujah. Way, way less. Uh, we, we are joined in the studio by Jan Burke, my dear friend, the Edgar Award winning author and forensic science advocate. Welcome, Jan. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you, you are, Jan. Wait, wait, wait. The, <laughs> oh, the oh, fanfare. I always forget the fanfare. Oh. There we go. Jan, wave, 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 stage. There you go. <laughs> he let the cat out. I swear to God. He let the Shay, cat Shay, put that cat away right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we have a little bit of housekeeping to tend to with our two lovely guests here. Well, we're going to make them wait just 30 seconds. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, it folks. It will help us out. If it you've already bought way... our books and you can buy them as often as you want to, it would also help Absolutely. us if you, if you go to iTunes and just it, it, there's click on the little apple on the dinnerpartyshow.com. It'll take you to our iTunes iTunes page and you can subscribe there. Absolutely. Like Facebook. The show is free. We want it to always be free. And even if you listen to the show on another platform, if you use the Android app or if you listen to us live using the streaming player, go to that iTunes page and hit subscribe because those are the numbers that count and they will draw the attention of people who will allow us to keep bringing this show to you free of charge. We those hope. numbers count too. Those numbers, anyway. I think all the numbers count. They all but count, but those numbers are particularly important. Particularly important. So that would be really helpful. Anyway, that's our only what a, sponsorship what a, okay, I'm telling tonight. my Oprah story. I threatened you all during the break with my Oprah story. I've, I've been accused of telling this story Again, before. so if you've heard this on a previous episode, Absolutely. it's that story. Oprah does not talk to her guests during the commercial breaks, or Which at least she didn't. Misses all the fun. Well, no. She do- <laughs> wants the fun to happen on the show, and that's why she will not speak to you when you're in commercial, because too, many, too much good energy and too many good stories get told during the break. However, there was one time where she broke her rule, and I don't know who the guest was, but the guest told an entertainment reporter who told me, and it was a very good sourced, excuse me, very well sourced story. The guest said, I saw Barbara Streisand was on your show a few weeks ago. And Oprah stopped flipping through her note cards, which is what she always did, and she looked up at the guest and said, do you know she painted my mic to match her dress? (laughs) And Oprah went back to flipping her note cards, and that's that's the one time she oh broke a rule. She broke a rule. And a I, true story, no less. Painted her mic. Painted her mic pink, I believe, pink. to match oh. her pink dress. You know, that Barbara and, and the husband have bought a truck, and they go riding around and dining out at truck stops. Barbara Streisand. I, no, heard, I heard her I doing this interview that. the other day. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, we, watch, we watch the same trashy shows, obviously. Uh, guilty pleasures. <laughs> I'll say my stars. Jan Burke, before we dive into our very special edition of The Dish, which is typically a gossip and entertainment headline roundup, and this I week found this very gossipy and entertaining. will be a death roundup, <laughs> maybe tell us a few things about the Crime Lab Project, which you started a few years back. Okay, well, the Crime Lab Project basically tries to bridge that gap between what people think is going on from watching CSI and Bones <laughs> and all of these other shows and, and what the reality is. And what I say to people is the lab in CSI compares to the average crime lab the way the Jetsons' house compares mm-hmm. to your your house. <laughs> it's, it's this futuristic thing that really doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality... Anywhere? Uh, anywhere. Wow. Anyway, I know everyone wants to I, be I, a fantasy lab. I've, I've had people say this. I, used, I had a friend who said, oh, but the Las Vegas lab 
is like that. And I'm saying the show's shot in L.A. on a, on a <laughs> The show is shot in, and, in Silmar, and, I believe, yeah. or and just outside L.A. And the great thing was, yeah. was the next week there was a, a story in the news about the Las Vegas lab being evicted from their temporary storage space that oh they were God. renting out. <laughs> yeah, so, so th- there so, is no, no Jeffersonian. No, no, no. Oh, I'm afraid yeah. holographs are not oh, in use. No. And alas... These guys don't always, A, have a match in the database, and they don't hang out in the jurisdiction for someone wearing sunglasses to come up and confront them. And also, here's the part that really freaked me out. Again, a serious live cast of The Dinner Party Show. There is no federal standard for qualifications for a death investigator. Is that correct? It depends on what state you're in. It could be somebody's friend. Absolutely. No. Uh, in Colorado, there's a guy who's a horseshoer, who's uh, the coroner. Um, so he got elected? The, the, or? New, or, the New Orleans... Uh, uh, oh, coroner is oh, actually, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, he's actually an obstetrician. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, actually makes sense. Yeah, beginning the alphabet takes you out. It's a full that's service exactly operation. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. But that's that's actually he's more qualified than most death investigators because in huge part of the country, the, there's no training required. Um, it's a state by state, jurisdiction by jurisdiction things. The terms. You know, don't mean anything. Anyway, if you if you want to know more, you just go to the Crime Lab Project dot com and mm-hmm. and click through and it'll so what take are you, are you, are you trying to like in an an advocate sort advocacy sort of way an advocacy <laughs> sort of way yeah. to try and get the standards or to try and get funding or what is the project trying to well you know we, we've tried a number of things primarily initially we're just trying to educate people just right. trying to make people aware of the problems I think more and more people are starting to see for example there's been a lot of publicity about rape kit right. backlogs and things that you know I used to say the that Closer word. did a nice episode on that. Very <laughs> a little more realistic, perhaps. Right. And Southland did as well. Yeah. Right. And a lot of times, you know, I have to say, ten years ago when we first started talking about all this stuff to people, you know, the audience would just look at you like you're crazy, and they and they would just be in denial. I could see it, you know, like no, mm-hmm. no, no. You you found a bad lab or two, and all the rest of them were fine. But it's it's not. It's bad. It was messing with juries too, wasn't it? Juries were coming to expect to be presented with the type of evidence they were seeing on an episode of CSI. So if they're like, if you don't have a hologram of the fingerprint that tells me if he was a diabetic, you, you clearly didn't do your job, Mr. Lawyer person. It was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> this is a television show. I mean, I, I should say that, there, first of all, uh, if I can, you know, do this kind of bad pun, but the jury is still out on the jury effect. <laughs> oh, you can't, no, you can't yeah, do that. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah. Oh, no it, it is. It is because there are studies that suggest juries are not generally that gullible. I mean, anybody can anecdotally find these mm, cases good. where somebody wants good. stuff like that. But part of what's happening is juries are saying to prosecutors, why don't you have physical evidence in this case where it's pretty clear there should have been some? Which is a reasonable expectation whether you've got a, a Jetson-like studio to uh, to process the evidence or not. You should right. have some right. if you're bringing people to trial. Right. So, you know, in, in some ways I think it's been good. So they're more informed. Because the juries are starting to say, you know, prove it. <laughs> um, you know, the yeah, other but... thing is, though, sometimes they do. I mean, I do think there is an expectation that there always will be forensic evidence it'll always be useful and there's especially this very weird prejudice about dna they they Mm. think there's always going to be dna well 
You know, if a husband kills his wife, yeah, his DNA is going to be there. It's his house. He's been right. spreading around mm-hmm. there. You know, so, so these things are, yeah, that. yeah. It, it isn't that's, always That's most useful. likely to be the person who killed you. Right. Yes. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. we got a lot of questions on the Facebook page about DNA, and we have plenty of time to answer them during the rest of the show. I think we have a word from another new sponsor, and then we'll be back uh, with Marsha Clark and Jan Burke. Oh, and that Eric guy is still here, too. Uh, Hey, Don, how's it hanging? Oh, hi, Joe. All right, I guess. Well, to be honest, I haven't been feeling so great. Oh, really? Why not? Well, I've kind of been making some lousy decisions lately. Remember that girl I was dating? The Harvard Law School graduate who liked all the same movies I did and used to rub my feet before bed every night? Susan, yeah, she's great. How's it going? Well, not so good. She dumped me. Oh, no. Why? Well, remember that friend of hers from college, the really hot massage therapist who thought bananas were vegetables? Alaska was its own country. Uh-huh. Well, I had sex with her in the bathroom at Susan's birthday party. Jesus Christ. I know. Well, it wasn't my best call, but she was really hot. Jesus Christ, dude. Okay, stop saying that. No. Anyway, it's been really a hard month. I'm not sure what's happened to my decision-making skills. My therapist is talking about Paxil, but... I don't feel depressed or anxious. What do you think I should do? Well, Don, have you thought about cutting your penis and testicles off? No. Be serious. Oh, I am, Don. I'm very serious. I know you. I think you should consider cutting your penis and testicles off. Really? Recent scientific studies have shown that 9 out of 10 crappy decisions men make are directly related to their sex drives. And our sex drives are dependent upon hormones that are produced by our testicles. So I repeat, have you thought about I cutting... I got that part. No, no I... Wouldn't it hurt? Well, that's the good news. The forward-thinking folks at Boner Enders Technologies have come up with a simple, safe, and effective home castration kit that can do the trick in just five minutes with about three to five years of recovery time. See, you take the 700 milligrams of Vicodin included in this handy zip pouch, Mm. secure your neck and waist to the front of your oven or dishwasher using these bungee cords, then you place the small waffle iron up against your groin for as long as you can before you vomit or pass out. Trust me, all your problems will just melt away. Trust you? Why? You've done this? No, I'm not the selfish and considerate jerk who thinks with his crotch. You are. I don't know. It seems pretty extreme. And lately, you seem pretty extreme, too. Home castration? I I never thought about that before. Well, think about it, Don. Think about it hard. For more information on the Bonerinders Home Castration Kit, visit www.cheatingx.com. playing on our website, and it's ours. Thank goodness. My co-host Eric Shaw Quinn is here. There's more than one show playing. Marsha Clark is still in the studio with us. Jan and Marsha. Here we are. Jan Burke is here. Okay, so Jan, we asked you to take over this segment of The Dish, Mm -hmm. which is usually gossip headlines. We want to hear death headlines from the the world of crazy deaths. (laughs) (laughs) Wacky dead people. (laughs) The wacky dead coming this fall. We're just a million laughs here. I feel for these people because, you know, some of them have read led these wonderful lives but they they wrap up you know with, right. with something that, in a Dale Evans swimsuit know? yeah right. it's really right. an right. ugly moment yeah. like oh god uh-huh. yeah. found yeah. hanging in his own closet right. after you know doing that thing that he does <laughs> 
Speaking of things. Yes. So our first item. Right. Woman dies after pet llama slips on wet grass and strikes her. Wet grass can be so dangerous. Uh, uh, yes. Particularly if you have four cloven hooves. Right. Well, llamas and wet grass clearly do not mix. Sad combo. Um, I yeah, saw that yeah. PSA in school. Yeah. yeah. I did. Yes. Do no. not put your llama on wet grass. It's a really, it's right. a, yeah, it can only right. lead to heartache. Right. Well, as, as this intrepid reporter says, it's a death you wouldn't wish on anyone. Right? <laughs> like you would be sitting around saying, you know, may you may your llama slip on right? wet grass. That is an ancient Aramaic you. curse. Yes. May your llama yes. slip yes. on yes. wet grass. Yes. And, yes. I, and I especially appreciate it about this story, which is basically that this woman comes out to see her llama. The llama gets very excited about seeing her and the llama in its excitement. It's it's a little klutzy. Slips, slips, crashes into mom of llama or whatever, you know. And it, it's llama, llama, bing, bang, or something. But it it, it, it hits its, its, its beloved owner and, and she hits her head on a concrete and apparently also has a heart attack. So, I mean, I really think if her number wasn't up, yeah. you know, I, I don't know whose is. I mean, you know, when God has to go to the extreme of having your llama slip to, to you know, knock you out of the universe. And get I mean, your heart attack it. cranked but, up. But this was my favorite God jumped the oh, shark. Yes. Right. This is the best right. part. Right. Or jumped the favorite, llama. Yeah, my, jumped the llama. <laughs> my, my favorite line in the whole story is, yeah. authorities don't believe baby doll. This is the name of the llama, baby doll. My favorite part. Authorities don't believe Baby doll acted maliciously. <laughs> so it was I do. just I death by llama and it. misadventure. You know, they, they questioned oh. baby doll extensively, apparently. Right? And, and uh, you know, baby doll under the lights, getting the third degree. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. I yeah. mean, when it's your time, it is your time. It, it, it is. It, it is. is your time. Okay. And, and then, um, oh, okay, so um, <laughs> this next one is gross but true. Oh, this one. Gross but is, true with Jan Burke. The, oh. <laughs> um, this uh, West Palm Beach, of course, Florida. This has got to be sort of a vortex for this kind of thing. But Was the, was the llama in Florida, too? No, but no, the wet grass no. had been imported from Florida. <laughs> no. A West Palm Beach man who collapsed after a cockroach-eating contest <gasps> last month. Oh, God, my mother just turned off the <laughs> before. Choked, choked to death on bug parts and his own vomit. The Broward County <laughs> Medical Examiner ruled Monday. You know? This is oh, strange. Okay. had it coming. You know? Yes. Flirting with disaster at the very least. Yes. Jesus. Now, and, the, and this poor guy, I mean, this How is... drunk this is, were these he, people? They, they were not allowed to have alcohol. In fact, the radio well, that's station... Probably, that's probably why he got so yeah. sick. There were yeah. rules about the cockroach eating contest. There were rules. And they, got, and they actually eliminated two contestants were not allowed to participate. Lucky guys. Yeah. <laughs> because they brought beer with them. I well, mean, or maybe I, the alcohol would have relax their throats and the bugs would have gone down better. better well, yeah. who's to say? Or they would have thrown <laughs> them up You say that easily. now. Where were you? I, mean, I know. And, and, I, and so some of the best aspects of this one are that he wasn't doing this on his own behalf. He was trying to win a, a, a albino boa constrictor <laughs> for a friend. <laughs> I'm sorry, a python, a python, and I'll buy a python. No good deed goes unpunished. Right, right. See what happens? You try and help out a pal. 
but but you know, like the guy who provided the the bugs or station. This is this is another great quote. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I gotta stop you. The guy who provided the right, bugs, right. The, the cockroach wranglers, right. we would call right, them in right. Hollywood. Right. right. Oh they're, my god. They're bred for exotic pet feed, and they're completely safe. He said. <laughs> I have to go to the line too. The um, the associate professor of bug studies at Montana State University oh. said that swallowing oh, a cockroach bugs. is like swallowing a fish hook. Right. And on that note, oh, right. it's time for another installment of our very special series, audiobook bestsellers. Very appropriate, given that we have two, two other authors in right. the guest chairs all tonight. writers tonight. Absolutely. We'll be back very shortly then again live with Marsha Clark and Jan Burke and that Eric guy. Jan and... And now, in keeping with the Dinner Party Show's commitment to celebrating literacy and the written word, we bring you an exclusive excerpt from one of this week's best-selling audiobook titles, The Interminable Snowman, by New York Times best-selling novelist and former editor-in-chief of the only Swedish magazine dedicated to covering the interior designs of homes owned by convicted pedophiles, Lusarg Fossen. Chapter 1 Elsa, Betia, Frusen, Glasen, Wagen, cross the Ugen, Bulogen, Valgusen Bridge, thinking as usual of her near mutilation at the hands of a mad gang of traffic police who patrolled the Verden Lukenschutten tollway. It was hard so often to remember being almost mutilated. So hard sometimes she would pull her car over to the side of the road, bring two handfuls of snow to her face, and scream into them until all of the snow had melted. This was why she owned seven different knives, which she sometimes used to carve the names of the men who had almost mutilated her onto parts of her skin where she had not already been almost mutilated already. She did not know what it felt like to laugh or smile, and the last man who had asked her to smile had been trying to drown her in a toilet bowl for no good reason. So she had vowed never to smile again. And she hated clowns now, because the man who had tried to drown her had been dressed as a clown for no reason anyone could determine. Because, as Elsa Betta had learned when she was thrown out of the house at the age of three by her brutal alcoholic one-eyed father who had made her work in the hard stone polishing factory when she was two, life did not make any sense. It was just horrible all the time. And so the best thing one could do was to scream for a very long time into two handfuls of melting snow and carry lots of different knives in your trunk. Because when life makes no sense, you can do whatever you want and get away with it. Like kill a clown for smiling too much, which is what she planned to do today as soon as she crossed the Irnagenserden Splendorblut Bridge. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for dessert, brought to you by your sister's new husband who's had way too much wine. 
I mean, everybody's cheated at least once, right? I, I, I mean, am I right? The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. Well, that was quite an audiobook we had in there. I think it was very bleak. It was. Those Swedes. Edison Bolin on our Facebook page says the audiobook narrator sounded like the love child of Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Swedish chef. <laughs> well, we Which, will convey that to him. Given Arnold's history, might actually be the case. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's time for dessert at the dinner party uh, show. the tasty part. Uh, Michael Minch would like to know who killed Laura Palmer. Is that a question anyone here is qualified to answer? No. I, you. I didn't watch the Wasn't whole it, series. That was a Twin I Peaks thought it was, thing. I thought it was that guy... Old, old, old Mean Joe. I want to hear what you say. Old Mean Joe. Boxcar Bob. Boxcar Bob. We don't know, Michael. We don't know. There are a lot of murders we could solve, but that's not a Maybe somebody else out there now. Uh, do you know? No, I was just going to say, I did go as Laura Palmer t- on, in a Halloween costume one year when, when the show was on. So it was just wrap myself in, you know, uh, that you plastic would be and, a and painted good, my nails blue. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can totally <laughs> cool. see you as, yeah, you've definitely got the look. It's I can So maybe one of the other listeners knows and they can post it on the page. Absolutely. For... We already had one correction from the audience tonight. Well, it was an addition, let's say. Justin Simpson pointed out that it was actually Kathy Griffin who told the Oprah story about the microphone being painted by Barbara oh. Streisand. So thank you, Justin. For deepening that story and encouraging Christopher to tell it yet again. Absolutely. (laughs) I don't believe I've told it on the show before, but we'll review our archive after the show. This is a good question, I thought, for the entire crew. Susan Bates would like to know, is there such a thing as the perfect murder? Well, what depends would that on who you got be? rid of, right? What right. would that even be? If we, if there were, we wouldn't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and this has I'm been so, Logic Class with Marsha Clark. <laughs> the Logic Corner <laughs> from an Philosophy. unexpected source. <laughs> That's a very good point, Marsha. Yeah, I would. I guess it also depends on your definition of perfect. Yeah. Like just being rid of somebody. My favorite murder story is the guy who killed his, uh, the head of his. The chairman of his committee, his doctoral committee, who wouldn't give him his doctorate because he wanted to keep him prisoner running his office and doing all of his research for him. And he beat him to death with a hammer. And every year when he comes up a roll, he says he's not sorry and he'd do it again. And he was being (laughs) held in slavery. And, you know, so that was perfect for that guy. He didn't contest it and he got caught, obviously, but... It was still. But it maybe, worked for him. It was his therapy. It was so that's a different idea. <laughs> He's willing perfect. to do the time, yeah. right? Yeah. You know? like they say. No. <clears throat> Absolutely. Speaking of the courtroom, Samiko Salson would like to know, Marsha Clark, how do you feel about the television portrayals of prosecutors in the various programs like Law and oh, Order? Do they measure good, up to real life experience? Good question. And is there anything particular you would want to show in your stories that haven't been shown in those portrayals? Well, I think that actually prosecutors are doing a lot better nowadays than they used to in the Perry Mason days. Um, back in the Perry Mason days prosecutors were always nimrods that were <laughs> I mean starting with the name Hamburger Hamburger right does it get any worse thank you Jan you know it's like okay it's a miracle any kid grew up wanting to be a prosecutor after that but um, nowadays it really is cool Law and Order in particular the original series was right on the money that really is very very close to true and accurate and the one thing I want to show and TNT right now is developing um, a one hour drama based on my series uh, books so get to show what I want to show, which is the fun. I was talking about that. The fun, the laughter, the camaraderie, the crazy of it. You know, it's they're not... 
prosecutors aren't necessarily all that right-angle law enforcement. In fact, I, I right. knew plenty of prosecutors who were... Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, keep going, please. <laughs> I stop at that critical we're moment. We're only live. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore. So... Yeah, so I'd like to show that other side where they are they are they are nuts and they are wild and they're crazy and they get high and they whatever, but they do a good job. It's not like they're they're falling down on the job. They're just not um, all that straight laced. And I'd like to show that side of it. Wild have you, have you seen this major crimes um, show that's on with Mary McDonald now, mm-hmm. where they they yes. work very closely with the DA's yes. office to negotiate pleas right. rather than to have to go to court, which is true. Absolutely. If we had to go to trial on every case that got filed, we would collapse. The whole system would collapse. Ninety-seven oh. percent of the cases do get pled out. Huh. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they have mm. to. They have to. Well, we have a we have a question for Jan from John Matson. He'd like to know: Have you ever been squeamish towards blood or a dissected corpse? And if so, how did you eventually get over it? If you ever did get over it? Well, I I have to say, I mean, I've had the sort of one step removed thing. All my research has been very uh, graphic PowerPoint shows. Um, I have been at once to where a body had lain for a while, and I've smelled that smell, mm. which is really the the Ugh. key factor, I think, in, in putting people off. Yikes. But I, I have to admit, I don't have a huge curiosity about autopsies. Um, mm. I, I know about them. I know what goes on in them, but... Um, I, I don't have that curiosity to actually see one or, yeah. or whatever. It's just not a need. And I, and I do, I guess some part of me still has this thing of, you know, it's, it's a human being and, right. and a little bit of dignity here. And, and, uh, and it, I feel this way about a lot of things with the research, you know, I don't want to keep, right. I don't want to keep a detective, I don't want to tie up his time when he could be solving a murder, you know, so mm. I try huh. to be prepared when I talk to him, you know, How those many kinds murders of are solved based primarily or in a, in a major sense on something discovered during an autopsy? You know, and I, I mean, I ask that rhetorically because that's a convention of the TV show, right? The mm-hmm. autopsy needs to happen in the first or second act, and we find the, the pivotal scratch mark or bone dent that sends us off in the direction we need to be in for an hour. But how often do we really, does an autopsy turn up something that's crucial to a conviction? Well, the first thing you need to get your head wrapped around is that there aren't all these autopsies going on. Yeah. Um, it's right. a very, very, autopsies are expensive. So they oh. they only autopsy. Let me tell you, if you're over fifty and there's not blood spattered everywhere, <laughs> nobody's gonna autopsy you. You know, oh, it's kind so, of a relief. So right. you know, it's 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 a very low rate. It's actually a dangerously low rate mm. of autopsy. And so they're only gonna do one if they really feel there's something that's that's going to be discovered by doing that. Um, sometimes. You know, all that's done is a talk screen to tell whether somebody was under the influence of, of something. You know, th- there's there's got to be some compelling reason for them to go ahead and do that. Absolutely. And bust you after death for being high. Absolutely. Do your work. You know, well, you and now it's time up. for a, uh, a special little installment for a series we call Pedestrian of the Week. And then we'll be back with more questions from Facebook with Marsha and Jan. Pedestrian of the Week. <laughs> And now it's time for the Dinner Party Show Pedestrian of the Week. Every so often, we at the Dinner Party Show like to set aside a moment to recognize those pedestrians among us who clearly won't be among us for a long time. So we hope we're not already too late. This week, the Dinner Party Show would like to offer a shout-out to all the jerks who are still drunk on Saturday morning, but don't let that stand in the way of 
taking their walk of shame on foot and behind the wheel. It makes Saturday morning commuting more exciting for all of us. A special Pedestrian of the Week shout-out to the drunken hipster who thought it would be a good idea to stand in the middle of the westbound lane on Melrose Avenue and have a conversation with the trick who just let him out of the car in the eastbound lane. Together, you effectively stop traffic on Melrose in both directions. And for that, we salute you. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Some safety considerations have been omitted for the sake of editorial purposes. Oops. I wonder how many people get that show ID. It's a specialized audience that knows that's a take on some language you hear before an adult piece of entertainment. Anyway, I'm blushing. It's the dessert portion of the dinner party show. Marsha Clark and Jan Burke are still in the are studio with us. looking at Christopher with grins on their faces. Yeah, well, somehow are. we all knew. Which I thought was more funny. Amazingly knew what that meant. Uh, yeah. I Absolutely. think everybody gets that joke. Absolutely. Well, I was looking over a lot of the questions that have been posted on the Facebook page and, and, and their common theme is is the really the writing angle you know what what got you interested in this jan i think obviously this for you marcia this was a career you were actually out there doing the real thing whereas a lot of us we, we just fantasize about doing that um Which but what got so you much easier. it was a lot easier <laughs> law school and i don't have to leave the house at all but what got you interested in forensics jan well, I th- I think partly because as a kid, uh, until I realized that I'd have to pay more attention in math class, um, I, 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 I love science. Oh, and that, that was the end of so many dreams, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? It really math was. Class. It really oh, was. Math yeah. took me to law school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep up with the homework or guess what happens. Yeah, that, that took right. me a while to figure out the relationship between that. doing the work and getting a good grade. But, um, yeah, so I, I love science, but I... I didn't have the grades to go into chemistry classes and all of that. So um, later, I mean, I'd always wanted to write. That's that's something I'd wanted to do since I was seven. But when I started looking for my first story to write, um, something that had a scientific aspect to it appealed to me in terms of clue building. And it just seemed to me that the scientific world was a great one for that kind of thing of, you know, evidence and, and reasoning back mm-hmm. into, you know, what happened here. So, yeah, it was a natural Excellent. thing. I guess the scientific method is sort of basically what uh, investigators would use. Right, right. We are we are getting a shout out from one of our listeners, Jeffrey Swisher, who, by the way, proposed marriage to you earlier and made he a comment about your He just wants to decorate shoes. his house for Christmas. Apparently, he's got a big house. He wants to remind us, Marsha. I don't know decorate. if you heard us at the top of the show. We were talking about this terrible case of this radio prank call to one of the nurses at the hospital, and we wanted to ask you about the legality of that. The legality of calling someone on the phone without their knowledge that they're being recorded for broadcast, and then broadcasting something that you humiliates them in such a way. How is this legal? How are they getting away with it? You know, I can't say that it's really a crime necessarily because, you know, in California, for example, it would be a crime Mm. to record someone without their knowledge. You know, when you, if you call somebody and you record them and unless certain exceptions apply, that's a crime and Mm -hmm. it's a violation of their right to privacy, et cetera, et cetera. And you can be prosecuted for that. But as I understand it, the person who made the call made it from Australia 
Yes. Right. Correct? Yes. So now you have international law involved. Right. So which law applies? Australia's or England right. Right, or the UK. So you got that wrinkle. And then you also have the, the part, I don't know what's against the law in Australia and the UK in terms of recording someone right. and broadcasting their response. Right. So that comes into play. I, you but know. prank calls on the radio are already illegal in California? Prank calls... No, I mean if you if yes I call no. somebody on the radio and record them, you know that's yes they don't necessarily they don't know that they're being recorded. Yes, if I'm playing it, so that's not legal. Wow, wow! Yes. So Uh-oh. we can already go after those Uh-oh. all those. Bullies. Would you like to uh, something you'd like to tell us? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Anything you got the right got, to remain silent? I just really that, that well, story you know, just really yeah. got my me going. I have never thought that was funny. It has been no. on. I think it may be the the earliest, most prehistoric form of cyberbullying. I've never thought those radio prank calls were funny. Neither I think did they're I. just mean. They mm-hmm. are mean. In fact, the one radio example that I loved doing that was Phil. Who's the guy who did the voices? He was on KFI when I was doing KFI. This was here in Los Angeles? Yes. Oh, I don't Phil, know. Phil, darn it. And what he'd do is he'd imitate both sides. He would make the call, and then he was the person being uh, called. Well, and it was right funny thing. people on the other side. And that was great. Yeah, right? that's that was, funny. That's fantastic. Yeah. That was funny. But real prank calls, I don't get the humor either. It just, yeah. it's, Well, there were, there was a group of guys, or maybe there were two guys called the Jerky Boys. I'm sorry, that was their name. And they would put out these CDs, and they would prank call places of business. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was their name, too. And the joke was always that the person on the other end would be like, who the F are you, you complete idiot? And that was sort of what you'd laugh at. You'd laugh at them acting like complete idiots. But the objective of these people was to be put through. It was to cause a security breach for the royal family. Right. And I don't care what they say, but that, that's got to be it. And they right? recorded oh, yeah. it. And oh, so yeah. when they did create the security breach, they were expecting to be hung up on, they chose to air the spot, which was airing the security breach but rather you, than You know what it made me it. think of? You know, and there wasn't a similar level of outrage. Well, a woman didn't apparently lose her life over it. It was the journalist in Wisconsin who pretended to be one of the Koch brothers and called Governor Scott Walker's office uh, and was put through. That may be oh, my exception. And recorded the conversation. That may be the exception. And broadcast the conversation. <laughs> and there was language in it. Yeah. And I mean, the, con- the professional consequences for whoever put that call through, I imagine, were far more immediate and severe, given the political climate at the time, than mm-hmm. probably what this nurse was going to undergo from the hospital. The hospital, in this case, is claiming they supported the nurse the whole time, that she was not going to be subjected to any, you know, of course they're saying that now, but who knows what the tone was before. That still isn't the thing that she was being subjected to, which was something that somebody who was a nurse would not have signed on for, which was international scrutiny. That's not a public position. Right. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. She That's was exactly working as right. a nurse at a hospital. Yeah. She didn't sign up for that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, it's not fair. There's an unfairness. Scott Walker ran for office, and whatever happens, happens. He gets mm-hmm. to be governor of Wisconsin, so boo It's a good point. Yeah. But yeah. she went to nursing school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, the other side of this, too, that's amazing to me is, so Beyonce and Jay-Z are able to shut down an entire floor of a New York City hospital so that she can have her baby. And they do it with such a level of secrecy that some people are speculating she didn't actually have a baby, that it was a cover-up. But the royal family is in this hospital and everybody knows where they are? Well, like- now, I think part of the reason that this is so kind of seat of the pants is I think I've understood this. I may be completely wrong, so our international listeners can correct me. But I think that medical treatment for the royals is typically provided at Buckingham Palace. The reason that she's in the hospital is because her symptoms were so extreme that it required hospitalization. I see. But typically they are not 
in the regular sort of main with um, with medical treatment. So I think that may be part of the reason that they didn't seem to have a policy in place for if the queen calls, ask her to say the password or something <laughs> like that right. so that there would have been a security protocol in place to prevent this from happening in the first place. Absolutely. That's a lot of speculation, that's Eric. That's a lot of speculation. Yeah, but it kind of fits. Yeah. I think yeah. it fits. They but just that was, that's, what I've, that's my inference, but honestly, yeah. they haven't said specifically, but I, I kind of have that, that sense. Mm-hmm. Well, before we say goodbye to you both, what are you working on now? Are you, are you, you have the third book in the Rachel Knight series the coming TV out soon, Marsha, and the TV show. Well, hopefully the TV show. You know, we're in development. Yeah, uh, I'm writing TV. a pilot right now uh, as we speak. Oh, God. Uh. Yeah, development hell, exactly. And um, the third book, Killer and comes out in June. I'm writing a short story that's going to come out in uh, March. Great. Um, so, Excellent. Well, you'll have to come back and talk with us oh, when the time comes. Your most recent book is for sale in our store at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Jan, what are you working on? I'm working on a novel. Working title is The Ride. Who knows? It'll be changed by someone in marketing has some uh, idea how to yeah. sell a book. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I think 2014, but I'm, you know, I'll I'll give the pub date when they really give me the pub date. And uh, got a couple of short Any stories hints? coming out in the meantime. Uh, it's a standalone, and um, oh, cool. it's you know it's totally evades the elevator pitch. But essentially, the thing that mm-hmm. inspired me to tell the story was um, I had a cousin who told me that he had accepted he decided to uh, share a ride with four complete strangers uh, from the Houston airport up to Kansas City mm-hmm. w- when a storm canceled their flight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in this line of work, all I can think about is how right. horribly Absolutely. wrong that is. And it goes from there. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you all so much for being oh, here. Thank it was you. so it much fun. fun. We're going to make you hang out in the waiting oh room God. so we can get a picture with you ladies, which we will post on our social media pages afterwards. Marsha Clark and Jan thank Burke. You. Thank you. And now thank it's time for another installment of Best Served Warm. And now, in keeping with the Dinner Party Show's commitment to community enrichment, it's time for another in our ongoing series of public service announcements featuring the people who make the Dinner Party Show what it is. Best served warm. Hi, I'm Jordan Ampersand, and this is Best Served Warm. Studies by old smart people confirm that white people are no longer the majority population worldwide, but rather the largest of several different minorities. The most important implication of this new information is abundantly clear. More hot Latin guys! Seriously, if you're feeling weird about your race, have sex with someone from another race. But remember, as with all hookups, keep conversation to a minimum so you can pretend the other person is somebody hot you went to high school with. I'm Jordan Ampersand, and this is Best Served Warm. Oh, by the way, black guys are hot too. Hendry. That was the the DJ that Marcia was talking about. Thank you to John Madsen and to our sound guy, Brandon, who chimed in over our headphones and said that was the disc jockey who used to do the non-gotcha prank right. calls. They and weren't that, technically we prank calls. On the show Absolutely. without feeling bad about it. Absolutely. Well, that was another amazing live cast I of The Dinner Party Show. I love this show. I love I doing I hope other people show. do, too, but I'm actually loving this show. Well, I have a little bit of a sad note to end on. Ten what? years ago tonight, we lost my father. Oh. I know. 
but uh, I think he would have loved this show and he would have loved all the characters. Tanya Lee Musgrave, our travel consultant, was definitely inspired by a lot of his perspectives <laughs> on growing up in Texas. And I can't uh, imagine that he wouldn't be awfully. That you yeah. have this sense of humor and that he wouldn't have been. He was a very funny man. Amused. He was a very funny man. He his poetry was about seeing the beauty in the everyday, in what the, the mundane could be beautiful, is how he used to put it. And uh, he also saw humor in it as well. His he I, this is my favorite story he ever told about calling my grandmother on the phone. He said, this is, this is how a phone call to his mom would go. Hello? Hey, Mom. How you doing? I'm fine. I'll let you go now. <laughs> Maybe that could be the end of our show every week. Absolutely. We'll let Absolutely. you go now. Next week, we're going to have Ted Casablanca, oh, the celebrated excellent. gossip columnist, will be in the studio. Heavy duty gossip. And we will have my good buddy Mark Andreco, who is a graphic, a very accomplished graphic novel Can't writer. Wait to meet him. Yeah, and writer, really you're going to get to meet him. There's actually a video that I posted on our Facebook page and also on my Facebook page of my appearance at BentCon, where I was interviewed by Mark in front of a live audience. And so, turnabout is fair play. Absolutely. Well, Eric, any final thoughts? Well, if you're really <laughs> famous and you're watching our show first, Thank you. And if you'd like to be on the show, you know, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of famous friends. And, well, we have five of them. And they're just going to come on over and over and over again until it, No, I'm just kidding. We have a very big guest that we think is coming on on January that I keep teasing. But it's Fingers not confirmed crossed. yet. Not confirmed. But we're very excited. Or maybe it's thumbs crossed. That can thumbs. be our hint. Absolutely. Follow us on Twitter at the At Dinner Party Show. Subscribe handle. on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes, even if you don't listen to us on iTunes. Because it really helps us out with our numbers and stuff. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. We'll see you next week. Night.